0: All right, let's look up LSI, Virginia Database for Legislation. Okay,
1: hmm. hey, so 2020 session.
0: 2020 is the bill tracking. Here it is. Oh, yeah. There's
1: a lot. It's
0: like a thousand bills. Mm. Maybe the House bills here, and then, oh, gosh. The oh, more. yeah. You can scroll <laughs>
1: through a lot.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so there's going to be hundreds in here that we can pick from.
1: Okay, cool.
0: Sweet.
1: The 45th president of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump. People
0: are so
2: frustrated in this country.
0: Free speech under fire. They're bringing drugs. How desperate the left has become. How desperate Democrats have become. They're bringing crime. Dissolution of the country. They're rapists. Sever the ties that unite us as a nation.
2: With the challenges and crises that we face right now, this is not the to divide this country.
1: Hello, I'm Tahi Wiggins.
0: I'm Denzel Mitchell. And I'm Avery
2: Shivers. And welcome to Main Street Speaks, a podcast that discusses rural news, politics, and history from the perspective of three college students from the northern neck of Virginia.
1: Today, we're discussing the package of legislation passed in the Virginia legislature and were recently signed by Governor Northam. This sweeping set of laws includes initiatives on gun control, LGBTQ protections, voting laws, the environment, and much more, all of which we'll get into in this episode.
0: But first, let's do a quick recap of the week's news.
1: On Saturday, community members gathered at the Confederate Monument in Essex County. There were several speakers, including Princess Blanding, the sister of Marcus David Peters, who was shot by Richmond police while having a mental health emergency. Congressional candidate Qasem Rashid also participated, including taking questions from the audience. The rally at the monument was followed by the Marcus David Peters Community Day, at which Black-owned businesses set up booths and there were speakers and live music. The gathering focused on removing the Confederate monument and establishing a statewide Marcus alert system, which would establish protocol to contact mental health professionals before police officers when someone has a mental health emergency. If If you're interested in either of these causes, there are petitions for both linked in our show notes.
2: Up next, the Richmond County Board of Supervisors recently implemented the Richmond County and Town of Walsall COVID-19 Emergency Small Business Relief Program. According to Northern Lake News, the purpose of this program was to provide grant awards to qualifying county and town businesses in a one-time amount of up to $5,000 based off the employment numbers of these businesses. Total funding for this program was $300,000 from funds received by the Richmond County from the Federal CARES Act. To apply for this loan, Richmond County will be taking applications throughout the month, but the first round of applications is is due July 17th at 5 p.m. To find out more, you can visit
0: www.co.richmond.va.us. And finally, throughout the past week, the state of Virginia has continued to experience recent increases in COVID cases scattered throughout several counties. In particular, the Department of Health recorded yesterday a total of 851 new cases in just one day. These numbers caused the state to exceed 7,000 cases total. Of these 7,000 cases, the Commonwealth has experienced over 1,000 deaths. Experts encourage citizens to follow state mandates and COVID regulations And they also stress the importance of this for younger folks, as the state and nation have observed a disproportionate amount of youth testing positive to the coronavirus due to neglect of social distancing guidelines.
2: get into the bills that were passed, we thought we'd do a quick Virginia civics lesson. We hear a lot about the national government by way of news and pop culture, but it's actually the laws passed by the states and localities that usually have the largest effect on people's lives.
1: So Virginia government includes the executive branch, that's the governor and, and administration, the judicial branch, that's the courts, and the legislative branch, that's the Virginia House of Delegates, which has 100 members, and the Virginia Senate, which has 40. For a law to be passed, it must be introduced as a bill by a delegate or senator who is known as the bill's sponsor. It is then sent to the proper committee. The House has 14 and the Senate has 11. While the bill is in committee, it is commented on by the public, amended, and then voted upon. If it passes the committee, it's presented in the chamber in which it was first introduced, where it is read three times. It can be debated or amended only during the second reading and is voted upon after the third reading. Once it is passed in one chamber, it's referred to the other, where it undergoes a similar process. It must pass in both houses with the exact same language before it's sent to the governor to sign.
0: In the 2019 general elections, Virginians elected majority Democrats to both the House of Delegates and the State Senate, meaning that legislation that previously stalled for partisan reasons was able to move through both chambers and straight to the governor to sign. Around 1,000 bills were passed in each chamber, so we don't have time to discuss all of them here. Instead, we're going to quickly go over some of those major legislation, then we'll choose a few to take a deeper dive discussion into. Ty, do you want to first break down the Equal Rights Amendment and the laws that are passed in regards to that?
1: Absolutely. So, quick bit of history here. The ERA was originally proposed in Congress in 1923 and passed in 1972. Now for a constitutional amendment to officially be added to the Constitution, it has to be ratified by 38 states. So Virginia voted to ratify the ERA early in 2020, making Virginia the 38th and final state to ratify. However, the U.S. Department of Justice passed a memo saying that the deadline for the 38 states to ratify had passed and that the process would have to start all over again. However, Virginia is planning to fight this memo memo in court, so stay updated. Denzel, I believe you're up next with gun control.
2: Yeah, so there are quite a few laws passed. Um, On the topic of gun control, first of all, there will be universal background checks for all sales of of firearms. Um, Something called extreme risk protective orders are going to be implemented, which essentially allows authorities to temporarily take guns away from people deemed too dangerous to themselves or to others to have guns. Uh, You can only buy one handgun per month now. Gun owners must report the loss and stolen firearms to law enforcement within 48 hours or face a civil penalty. There is now a larger penalty for leaving loaded and unsecured firearms in a reckless manner that endangers a child. Localities are allowed to regulate firearm and ammunition use and ownership. There will now be a class 6 felony for someone who is in possession of a firearm. While having a protective order against them, and local governments have the authority to ban guns in public spaces. All right, Avery. So you want to talk about the Lee Jackson holiday no longer being a state holiday?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> uh, yeah. So the Virginia legislature decided that Lee Jackson Day will no longer be a state holiday. Lee Jackson Day was initially created to be a celebration of Robert E. Lee's birthday and honor Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson, who were two Virginian Confederate generals. Before it was moved, this day, Lee Jackson Day, fell on the same day as Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The men were originally described in the Virginia Code as being defenders of causes, in regards to their defense of the Confederacy and the institution of slavery. Instead, they're favoring to make Election Day a holiday rather than Lee Jackson Day. And even more so in regards to Virginia dealing with its history of the Confederacy, the Virginia General Assembly gave localities power to remove statues. Tahi, would you like to talk about the uh, bills and laws passed in regards to LGBTQI protections.
1: I would be more than happy to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there was an enormous package of laws uh, passed um, all under the umbrella of LGBTQI protections. Um, so the major one was the Virginia Values Act, which makes sexual orientation and gender identity protected classes in housing, employment, and co- and public accommodations cases. So essentially, you know, you're very familiar with the idea that employers can't discriminate based on someone's race, um, and this just adds uh, sexual orientation and gender identity as something that employers and other cases cannot discriminate against. Additionally, the legislature assigned hate crime distinctions to assault, battery, or trespassing if the victim was selected because of their LGBTQI status. Hate crimes because of gender identity or sexual orientation must be reported to state police now. Um, the legislature also said that it was easier to change a person's name and gender on a birth certificate. The Department of Education must create and implement policies concerning treatment of transgender students in public schools. There is a ban on conversion therapy, which makes Virginia the first state in the U.S. South to pass such a law. However, this does not apply to faith communities. And we'll also note that the American Psychological Association has said that conversion therapy is both not based in science and is harmful to the mental health of LGBTQI youth. Denzel, I believe we're moving on now to the easing of abortion restrictions?
2: Yes, so this is pretty big. Two big things happened with the packets of legislation that had to do with abortion restrictions. Firstly, um, the state legislator repealed previous Republican-led abortion restrictions. Um, this packet of legislation actually tied in the Senate, and the tie had to be broken by Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax. And the second thing, uh, there's, there was legislation that removed the 24-hour waiting period before an abortion, removed the ultrasound requirement before an abortion, and re- removed the counseling requirement before an abortion, and it allows nurse practitioners to perform them, and it removes the strict building codes on abortion facilities, which was really important because those strict building codes would decrease the amount of facilities that were allowed to operate in the state. So, Avery, you want to talk about the the new marijuana decriminalization laws?
0: Yeah, so um, the General Assembly in Virginia has voted to um, essentially drop all criminal charges um, and replace Uh, possession of marijuana with a $25 civil penalty, Um, even more so a creation of a work group to study the impact of marijuana legalization has been formed within the state government. And finally, um, no person may be uh, prosecuted or denied any right for participating in the state's medical cannabis program, um, which is a a new state program that allows access to medical marijuana. Uh, Tahi, I Speaking of uh, drug and the health administration, um, I know you have something about insulin.
1: That's right. Yeah, The so the state legislature implemented an insulin price cap, and for sure, this is not the flashiest legislation, but <laughs> um, it does have some pretty big effects on many people in Virginia, specifically people of color and low-income folks. Essentially, there's a price cap of a maximum of $50 a month for insulin, which makes it the, lowest, the fourth lowest cap in the country. Um, and this is... This is particularly important considering that insulin prices have tripled over the last decade. So people with diabetes have uh, been forced to face higher and higher prices, um, and now they'll have this $50 a month cap. Now, Denzel, up next, I believe you're discussing the requirements to vote.
2: Yes. So now you do not have to have a photo ID to register or to vote. Uh, in terms of registration, you can have any document, such as a bank statement or paycheck, any document that shows your official name and address. Um, if the voter does not have this, they can sign a sworn affidavit of their identity. And if they lie about their identity, they're subject to a classified felony. But if they don't want to do either of these things, they can vote provisionally improve the identity later. Project VOTE says about 7 percent of the U.S. population lacks a photo ID, which disproportionately affects lower-income communities, youth, and ethnic minorities. So hopefully this law will allow more people to register to vote and to vote. Avery, I think you're going to talk more about voting, having to do with absentee voting.
0: Yeah, so uh, this is pretty quick House bill. Uh, Number one, um, the Virginia General Assembly decided and was written into law that voters do not need an excuse to cast an absentee ballot, uh, which further expands voting rights and diminishes the possibility for voter suppression in the state of Virginia. Tahi, I know you want to talk about uh, citizenship status and in-state tuition.
1: That's right. Now, this was legislation that was largely prompted by a movement of undocumented students in Virginia advocating at the statehouse, so we should absolutely give credit to them for pushing this legislation through. Virginia is the first southern state to implement this law, uh, which is that undocumented students living in the U.S. who meet Virginia residency standards are eligible for in-state tuition at Virginia colleges and universities. So essentially, um, they may not have official documentation, but if they can prove that they have been residents of Virginia for at least two years and meet the other requirements for um, Virginia residency, they are subject to in-state tuition at all of Virginia's public institutions. Now, Avery, I believe you're going to tell us about minimum wage?
0: Yeah, so the Virginia General Assembly voted to increase the minimum wage to $9.50 Uh, It will take effect in May of 2021. Even more so, they voted to create a substantial increase year by year. So in 2022, the minimum wage will increase to $11. In 2023, to $12. In 2025, to $13.50, or $13.50. And in 2026, to $15. So essentially... Each year, the bill is going to be adjusted to reflect the Consumer Price Index, which will help to create a much more equitable minimum wage for workers in the state of Virginia. And Tahi, you have uh, something regarding immigrants and uh, driver cards.
1: Yeah, that's right. So um, many immigrants which don't have legal documentation in the state of Virginia um, obviously also do not have driver's licenses, but oftentimes they would drive anyway in order to get to their jobs and uh, make money money to support themselves and their families. And the legislature has passed this law that um, creates uh, something called a driver card, which is slightly different than a driver's license in that, um, you know, They're not exactly the same thing, but it does allow um, immigrants without official documentation to drive legally. Uh, Denzel, next up we have the Virginia Clean Economy Act.
2: Yes, yes. This is pretty big for the state. Mm -hmm. So uh, this Clean Economy Act has a goal of making Virginia's electric grid carbon-free by 2045. This act includes targets for solar wind development, standards for renewable energy portfolios, and energy efficiency, and loosen restrictions on distributed generation, like rooftop solar. This has been said to be the most progressive comment legislation to ever come out of the South. So, Avery, I think you're going to talk about casinos and sports betting.
0: <laughs> yeah, so the Virginia General Assembly legalized casinos and sports betting um, throughout the state, but not on college games involving Virginia University teams. Uh, Tahi, one more thing regarding to bargaining uh
1: collective bargaining um so this is a big one for trade unions um although they did advocate for um a bit more progressive legislation with regards to collective bargaining they didn't get exactly what they wanted but it is an improvement on what already exists uh the the new law is essentially that local governments are allowed to engage in collective bargaining with their employees you can, as you've just heard, there's a ton to go over here. So instead of doing all of that surfacy stuff, we're going to pick um, just a couple and uh, and choose to discuss it a little bit more in depth. So Denzel, I believe you picked the first one, which is gun control.
2: Yeah. So I wanted to go back and talk a little bit about the gun control measures. Um, of course, we mentioned universal background checks, um, red flag laws, which, you know, stop people who will who, you know, the government believes is dangerous from keeping or obtaining a weapon, one handgun per month, you know, all these laws, um, none of them really take guns away. And I think that was the biggest thing that localities like here are scared of. Um, every surrounding county in the Northern Nick, every county in the Northern neck is a Second Amendment sanctuary. And they essentially, they stated that the sheriffs and the supervisors of those counties stated that they won't mm. enforce any law that, Um, I guess it restricts the Second Amendment um, in terms of taking guns away. And none of the laws did that. I think these are common sense measures that most people can agree with. You know, if you're too dangerous to have a gun, if you're an abuser, if you're on the no-flight list or anything like that, I think that um, you shouldn't be allowed to get one. And I'll, I'll say for this point, mainly I think it's because you know there are a lot of responsible gun owners, including myself. Uh, you know I don't own a weapon myself; my, my dad does. But I, I used to use weapons, guns, mm-hmm. sorry, when I hunted and things like that. You know, for responsible people who, who use guns responsibly, um, you don't want people who use guns in a bad way to taint you know the reputation the reputation of owning a firearm. You know, uh, I don't have an AR fifteen or anything like that. <laughs> it's just shotgun, just right? Mm-hmm. But but I think that it's good that these laws are passed to you know keep. Weapons out of the hands of people who do the most harm, mm-hmm. um, and that's what I see from this packet of legislation. Nothing that's really restricting the Second Amendment.
1: Yeah, is this it? is this is also interesting that it happened at this time because you know we had the, the Virginia Beach shooting, um, and this was before the the Virginia Democratic majority was elected, and Governor Northam uh, immediately called an emergency session of the Virginia legislature, and it immediately stalled. Um, And so you can see, like, there's, you know, you have this New Virginia majority that passes Denzel, like you said, you know, common sense um, firearm legislation. But there's also this question of whether localities will enforce Mm -hmm. it. And, you know, I think I think it's it's great that all of these are being implemented. But I also I suppose I'm just worried that, you know, localities are empowered, which I think is good. But I feel like it'll it has the it carries the risk of further sort of fractionalizing. The, the way that gun legislation is enforced Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think of that?
0: Yeah, I was going to mention the point. I mean, two, House Bill 421 and Senate Bill 35 both include uh, further authority and jurisdiction for localities in regards to the Second Amendment. So House Bill 421, localities are allowed to regulate fire and ammunition use and ownership. And in the Senate Bill 35, local governments have the authority to ban guns in public spaces. So with these two things, I think you're right, Tahi. I think we're going to—it will be interesting to see, especially in our area— being a sanctuary city for the Second Amendment, or sanctuary county for the Second Amendment, it will be interesting to see how localities go further beyond the gun control and make it make have more gun control, or um, become become kind of independent and separate and try and uh, subvert these state laws as well. So that'll be something definitely to look out for.
2: Yeah, and and. Just as an antidote, I asked uh, the Northumberland County Board of Supervisors if they're going to enforce the new laws that came out of the state, and their answer to me was, we'll speak with our lawyer and get back to you by July 1st. <laughs> they haven't gotten back back to me, um, but, uh, I mean, that, that was an interesting response. Like, um, you know, according to the Constitution, counties don't have mm-hmm. the power over the state. The state the right. state law is supreme. Right. And it's scary to think that what if uh, a board of supervisor or a county deciding not mm-hmm. to implement these laws results in blood on their hands? Uh, so I hope, I hope they yeah. uh, they actually enforce these laws. It doesn't look like much that would be the board of supervisors. It just looks like you know. They would have to be holding people accountable. I mm-hmm. guess you say in the local sheriff's department
0: as well. Yeah, it'll be it'll definitely be interesting to see, especially in our area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's move on to LGBTQ protections.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we discussed earlier the Virginia Values Act, these new distinctions uh, for individuals who identify as LGBTQIA, um, and this is also relevant to this area. Um, in 2017, there was the case of Gavin Grimm, who was a student in Gloucester County, um, and he. Uh, He wanted to use the bathroom that aligned with his gender identity, um, and actually did for a couple of months before some complaints from parents made the Gloucester School change their policy, um, which led uh, Gavin Grimm along with the ACLU to file a lawsuit under Title IX. Now, the suit actually made it all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, um, but the court didn't hear it. It sent it back down to uh, an appellate court, Um, and in August of 2019, the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia um, ruled that Gavin's motion for the judgment uh, won. So essentially, they ruled that the school violated Gavin's rights under Title IX and under the 14th Amendment. And so we can see this package of legislation sort of like um, institutionalizing and um, making official this this ruling and these other rights for LGBTQIA individuals in the state of Virginia.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a great move from the General Assembly um, to expand the rights and protections of the LGBTQIA community in the state of Virginia. Um, I. You know, I, as as um, the 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 concept of being trans has, becomes more normalized to greater society, it is so so crucial that um, it is so crucial that you know state governments and uh, local local governments uh, protect the civil rights of all people and of all citizens as well. So this is an awesome move from the uh, Democratic majority uh, court yeah. and General Assembly.
2: Yeah, and just looking at it from a rural perspective, um, because that's what we try to do here. <laughs> hopefully, like we were saying with the gun laws, hopefully these these rights are enforced. Yeah, you know, that's I mean, right. we don't have. That's right. I mean, I didn't go to school with transgender people all through you know elementary, middle school, and high school. The first time I met a transgender person, I was in college at uba um you know and even with gay people we didn't have that many people who identify who you know who were gay or or lesbian or um you know a lot of people are essentially you know they were um heterosexual and Mm -hmm. and all through school or claim to be or claim yeah or claim to be um which yeah which is a big thing and i was talking with a guy yesterday who works with gender violence and relationship violence and um he said that it is a problem here that those people who, identify, who are a part of the LGBTQIA community, they don't have people to go to to talk about the issues mm-hmm. they face and they don't feel like there's a community where they can feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Just from a world perspective, you know, there's just not a lot of awareness in this area. Yeah, I'm not I think saying that's a good point. Yeah,
1: and having laws like this, um, you know, not only does it enshrine the rights of these people to um, have equal justice under the law, I think it also just sort of raises awareness of the fact that these issues exist and are, are real for pe- you know, real people, many, many people. Um, mm-hmm. and I also found it interesting that these laws sort of um, resonated through every aspect of society, you know, they weren't simply. Uh, you know, banning discrimination in employment or discrimination in housing or uh, discrimination in education. They really tried to establish these laws in every sector so employment public accommodation housing education um crime civil disputes um just normal like civil actions like changing gender on a birth certificate and i believe a a driver's license as well yeah
2: you don't have to you can be gender neutral on your driver's license you don't have to choose male or female and can just um, not identify. This essentially is, is like a, a civil rights bill. Yeah, yeah it's, it's totally yeah. Civil For the LGBTQIA community. And, you know, in, in many ways, it's long overdue. They, it it is very really yeah, long absolutely. overdue. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. so yeah. Um, beyond the LGBTQIA protections, we're going to move into marijuana decriminalization. Um, so as previously mentioned, the state of Virginia uh, scrapped criminal charges and repl- for marijuana possession slash usage usage and replaced it with a $25 civil penalty. Um, They also established a work group to study the impact of marijuana legalization as well. Um, And even more so, no person is able to be prosecuted or denied any right for participating in the medical marijuana cannabis program. So this is kind of a a larger packet of um, marijuana rights and what you call uh, healthcare, justice, or advocacy. Um, in that, marijuana is is becoming much more normalized as a usage for uh, a medical source and a medical uh, drug. And even more so, the part of the decriminalization of the of the of the plant and drug is even more significant in regards to criminal justice reform. Um, because as we've seen in the war on drugs in the late. Uh, 90s and um, into the 2000s with the um, Clinton administration and even into the Bush administration as well and still today, um, the usage and the surveillance of communities of color um, regarding the usage of marijuana was extremely, extremely uh, detrimental to the welfare of these communities and led to higher incarceration levels as well. So what this does is helps to avoid strong penalties and our uh, criminal legislative criminal charges um, against folks and instead place a civil penalty uh, through a uh, fee or a fine. Um, and I think this is an, an awesome move, not only in regards to healthcare advocacy, but also in regards to criminal justice reform. My only thing is, is that I think that the, the state of Virginia needs to now look into how they will, um, how they will contribute to the release of folks who have been criminalized previously for marijuana and are still in state penitentiaries or private prisons in the state of Virginia.
1: Mm-hmm. A yeah. uh, quick quick explainer just on criminalization versus civil suits. So, um, if you know if someone is sued or prosecuted, it will either be because of a crime they committed or because of a civil dispute. So, a crime might be um, a robbery or arson or something like that, and a civil dispute might be something like um, a debate over a contract, for example. And so, making this um, a, a civil. Case instead of a criminal case means that uh, jail time is usually not um, not part of the consideration in cases like this.
2: Mm. Yeah, and uh, like me personally, I don't use marijuana, but but I'll just say that I mean there are people of all races who use it mm-hmm. um, for and it's been like that been that way for a while. If you look at the history of why marijuana was made illegal, um, you know. Back in the early 1900s, it was really made illegal because they wanted a way to, you know, incarcerate people of color. Um, That includes people in the Latinx community. That includes um, African-Americans. So, you know, I think in some ways uh, we're going back, back in time um so this is i I was going to say i was going to say that this is overdue but it's not even overdue in a sense if you consider the fact that at a point in time marijuana was something that was regularly used by all people in society without being without the fear of being incarcerated so i think that this is a step in the right direction um like you were mentioning about i hope they look at the people who are currently incarcerated right right. um because if we're going to decriminalize it then you know is it right to keep those people in jail and to keep the at least the people who have gotten out is it right to keep that on their record that's a lot and i think that um that's a good thing, you know. This isn't exactly going to benefit me directly, but in terms of in terms of making sure that we, you know, fight for criminal justice and reform mm-hmm. of, of criminal justice, I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be good for our economy. You know, you think about the way that it could be used to you know to build an economy in Virginia if it is fully legalized at mm-hmm. some point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think this is a step in the right direction. Sweet,
0: yeah. All right. So, like we said, there are so many laws that are all super important that were previously passed on July 1st. Unfortunately, we cannot cover all of them today, but we encourage you to do your own research by visiting the website lis.virginia.gov. And, yeah, here are our final thoughts. Thank you guys so much for listening, um, and please do your own research regarding these laws in the state of Virginia.
1: So, as Avery mentioned, uh, our final thoughts today are going to be discussing uh, the Marcus David Peters Community Day, which we mentioned at the top of the episode, but we thought we'd just discuss for a couple minutes here because it was a really fantastic event.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I just want to say that, I mean, so the event itself, you know, it started off with a rally, like Tahi has already mentioned, a rally at the Confederate Monument in Tappahannock, which is in Eskis County, Virginia, and then it moved over to the Community Day portion. Um the community day portion, I mean, there were African-American businesses. There were speakers, like, like Tahi mentioned earlier, Princess Blanding, you know, who's the advocate for the Marcus Alert system, because Marcus David Peters was her brother who was killed by Richmond police officers while experiencing a mental health crisis. Um, there were, you know, there was a group of, of college-age uh, African-American men um you know they were singing there i mean there were people who were you know rappers and and there were just all these artists and, and businesses african-american artists and african-american owned businesses and it was just a great event There would essentially i just found out so much more about my community by going there that mm-hmm. i'm surprised i didn't know or already know before yeah. Yeah, and yeah. hopefully through things such as you know the podcast we're doing here we can highlight those things so yeah that's all i wanted to say about absolutely. it. absolutely yeah. yeah
1: yeah as denzel as denzel said i think um, you know, we've we've lived here for many, many years, and we weren't aware of, you know, just the proliferation of really fantastic Black-owned businesses that exist right in our area. Um, and so hopefully as we move forward, we'll be able to publicize them more. Uh, so stay updated for that.
0: Totally. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for listening today. Um, To keep up our efforts, we need your help to help grow our audience, so please subscribe to our podcast and questions in through our email, write and comment on our episodes, engage with us on Twitter and Facebook, which you can find in this episode's description. Uh, And finally, spread the word about the work we're doing in any way you can. Um, This podcast has helped. to fill an informational void in the community and we really appreciate you guys uh, listening to us Uh, both us and the community as a whole will greatly appreciate any support that you guys can offer Mm -hmm. so with that being said my name is Avery Shivers I'm Denzel Mitchell
1: I'm Tahi Wiggins this has been Main Street Speaks we'll see you next time